Hi, welcome to Tradition! And welcome to episode 11 of Traditions. Here's a musical hint towards today's destination. I have a grand old time coming up with these songs tied to the country we're going to be talking about. But before I begin, let me tell you about a book I read. If you've been listening to these shows, then you probably find these different ethnic traditions as interesting as I do. When I started this series... My wife gave me three books on the subject of wedding rituals. This one I found especially captivating. The title is Lucky in Love, Traditions, Customs, and Rituals to Personalize Your Wedding, written by Eleni Gage. Her name is spelled E-L-E-N-I, and her last name is Gage, G-A-G-E. The copyright date is 2018, so you shouldn't have any trouble finding one to purchase. I found it easily online, selling for anywhere from 5 to $10. Many of the traditions we've been talking about in the countries we've visited so far are covered in Miss Gage's book, but it also includes a whole lot more we haven't gotten to yet, and some we might never visit. And now, on to the land down under. We're going to discover that Australia and the United States share many of the same wedding traditions and customs. Perhaps that might be explained by their shared British heritage of penal colonies. During the 80 years between 1788 and 1868, about 162,000 convicts were transported from Great Britain to various penal colonies in Australia. It's said that one in seven of those inmates were women and practically all the convicts so banished were guilty of only petty crimes. Serious offenders mostly met their fate on the gallows of London, and Britain began transporting convicts overseas to the New World colonies in the early 17th century. I don't suppose it takes a whole lot of imagination to understand when and why the transportation of convicts to the New World colonies ended. It was pretty much the same kind of events that brought the practice to an end in Australia. Some of the customs that follow trace their origin back to the indigenous aboriginal people of the continent, but heavy Western European influences also prevail. Probably one of the most significant rituals of the aboriginal culture is the smoking ceremony where plants are burned to produce a fragrant smoke that's fanned over the bridal couple. There's a belief in the cleansing and healing properties of the smoke. Plus, as is the case with so many wedding traditions we've visited, it's believed the smoke has the ability to ward off evil spirits that are lurking to bring harm unto the marriage. Tracing its origins back to a time when early British settlers couldn't afford wedding rings, is what's called the stone ceremony, 
where the bride and groom each throw a stone into the river, signifying their unity as they face the vicissitudes of married life. It's customary during wedding ceremonies, as well as just about any significant event where people gather, to acknowledge the land and its original inhabitants. While this can take many forms and is usually tailored to recognize the presence of the founder's descendants who might be present at the event, a common generic form of the acknowledgement might sound something like this. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Presentation of a Bible as a wedding gift dates back to the original settling of the colonies during the 19th and early 20th centuries. Whenever possible, this Bible is often a treasured family heirloom that has been passed down through the generations. Similar to the stone ceremony mentioned earlier is the unity bowl. Each guest is given a stone to hold during the ceremony. At the end of the ceremony, the guests place the stones in a bowl that the couple will keep and display in their home, symbolizing the presence and support of their loved ones throughout their married life. While they're not universal, two customs maintaining their western flavor are the white wedding dress and the exchange of wedding rings. The symbolism of the white gown is identical to that hallowed in many cultures, as are the intentions and significance of the rings. As is customary in many western climes, the wedding bands are worn on the fourth finger of the left hand, since the vein in this finger is believed to lead directly to the heart. Now let's look at some variations on the theme that make weddings in Australia similar, but nonetheless different, from those you'll attend in the United States. Here, the bride's mother is traditionally escorted down the aisle to her place of honor by a male member of the wedding party, frequently the best man, while the honor of escorting the bride to the altar is reserved to her father. In Australia, it's pretty common for both bridal parents to walk the bride down the aisle. In fact, it's also not uncommon to see both parents of the groom walk their son down the aisle as well. Every country boasts music native to its culture. Australia is no exception. Waltzing Matilda has grown to be recognized as the unofficial Australian anthem, and chances are excellent you'll hear it at some time during the day. Interestingly enough, the words of the song have nothing to do with dancing at all. When you get a chance, search for a detailed explanation of the message behind the song. Turns out it's telling the story of a swagman, Australian for hobo, resting by a waterhole who steals a sheep and makes a meal of it, but is caught red-handed by a wealthy landowner. Fearing for his life, the swagman jumps into the waterhole and drowns. Another bit of musical heritage centers around the didgeridoo made famous by the song Tie Me Kangaroo Down Sport from Rolf Harris. No self-respecting Australian celebration would be complete without a serenade from one of these classic native instruments.
The traditional three-tiered wedding cake is shared in both countries, but a second dessert cake, called a lamington, is often provided down under. It's a native confection made of squares of sponge cake coated in chocolate and rolled in coconut flakes. The big fancy sit-down dinners are far less common in the land of the outback. The wedding eve rehearsal dinner and the gala formal reception feast, while growing in popularity, are not the norm. Expect instead rounds of hearty appetizers and champagne. There seems to be a trend these days towards shorter and shorter wedding ceremonies. Here in Florida, all that's required by law is a properly executed marriage license a statement of intent from both parties before a recognized officiant, and an official declaration of marriage by that officiant. Except for getting the license, all the rest can take place in an elevator on the way to the penthouse. It's almost as brief in Australia. Here's a summary of requirements taken from my research as documented on the transcript of today's show. First of all, there's no minimum residency requirements for getting married in Australia. But it is challenging, not altogether impossible, but challenging, for anyone under the age of 18 to be married. A notice of intended marriage must be completed in the presence of the people being married, and a marriage celebrant, along with the birth certificates, one month before the wedding. On the wedding day... The marriage celebrant identifies themselves and states to the people being married and at least two witnesses, quote, I am duly authorized by law to solemnize marriages according to law. Before you are joined in marriage in my presence and in the presence of these witnesses, I am to remind you of the solemn and binding nature of the relationship into which you are now about to enter. Marriage, according to law in Australia, is the union of two people to the exclusion of all others, voluntarily entered into for life, or something to that effect. The partners must say to each other in response, I call upon the persons here present to witness that I take thee to be my lawful wedded spouse, again, or something to that effect. The celebrant, bride, and groom, and two witnesses sign Form 14, attesting to their intent to marry, and must make a declaration before the celebrant as to their conjugal status and belief that there is no legal impediment to the marriage. This is followed by Forms 15 and 16, provided to the couple certifying their marriage. That's about all there is to it. Not exactly elevator music, but close. Anything beyond those elements is a matter completely up to the bridal couple and their families. It's probably worth mentioning that two witnesses are required to sign the marriage certificate, as opposed to Florida, where the witnesses are completely optional. But they don't necessarily have to be members of the wedding party, if indeed there is any Australian wedding party. Often, there is not. Another important distinction in country is the fact that church weddings before a religious celebrant are officially recognized by the state, as opposed to what we've seen in many other countries so far. 
There's a definite movement away from the bride being given away by anybody, father, mother, or other, as well as abandonment of the officiant asking for approval upon the marriage. These folks are usually adults getting married. They're perfectly capable of making their own decisions. And so it is also with the superstitions of being bad luck for the groom to see his bride before she's walking down the aisle. This is a holdover from ancient times, with all the evil eye and evil spirit stuff. More and more these days, couples opt to do a lot of the formal posed photography before the ceremony, so they don't have to miss any of the party after the ceremony. Good for them. So how many people have you invited to the wedding and reception afterwards? Within socially active families, this can easily and quickly get out of hand. Don't feel like you've got to invite every person you and your parents have ever met. Many contemporary weddings fall into the category of a social imperative. You'd be surprised how many people would like to say thank you for leaving them off the guest list. Three other customs falling out of favor are the first dance, tossing the bouquet, and the garter toss. If dancing is a large part of your family or your relationship with your new spouse, by all means, go for it. Otherwise, merge it in with a father-daughter or mother-son dance that morphs into bride and groom and ultimately everybody being out on the dance floor. If you've elected to spring for live musical entertainment, not a DJ. Make sure you choose a band leader who can rally the troops. At our wedding, the orchestra leader promised he'd have people up and dancing from the start, and he was as good as his word. So good, in fact, that other members of our family married later also contracted with him. A couple final thoughts about the ceremony itself that the laissez-faire Australian approach is fostering. Bridal veils were intended to ward off evil demons. Come on, take a lesson from the Irish and the Aussies. Beautiful hairdos braided with flowers, silks, and delicate strands of gold and silver are stunning, particularly if you've also jettisoned the idea of having to be married in a formal church building. Have you traveled much and seen some of the magnificent landscapes this earth has to offer? That's God's church. You're just as married on a majestic mountain or by the crashing waves of the sea as you would be at the altar. If the family is super religious, by all means, acquiesce to the church. But if you're calling all the shots, it's your wedding. Go for it. So many of the wedding customs we take for granted stem from times of widespread and profoundly accepted superstitions and demons. Either that, or they emerged when marriage was primarily a business transaction conducted between families, ruling class elites, and even countries. As a result, the threat of a runaway spouse was an all-too-common occurrence. Secrecy was paramount, and family fortunes often rested upon the successful outcome of the marriage. Love and romance were a delightful outcome, but hardly an essential element of the transaction. The 21st century 
is seeing the inculcation and culmination of ideals and mores born in the latter half of the past century. I believe the TV commercial said something like, it's not your father's automobile, and today it's increasingly no longer your grandma's wedding. From the moment of entry through the conduct of the ceremony and onto the recessional exit, it's a new day dawning. Everything's up for grabs. Costumes are as varied as the flowers and music. Wedding party attendance can be male, female, adult, children, or nothing at all. Have you ever heard the term bromades? Blended families hopelessly blur the lines of attribution. Who stands or sits or walks when or where is inconsequential. Even traditional gender roles have become passé. To sum it up, here's a quote from a popular Australian blog cited at the end of the transcript for today's show. The industry has changed. The legalization of same-sex marriage in Australia has had a profound influence on the prominence of traditions, which means the wedding suppliers are having to assume less and ask more questions about each event. You can no longer assume a wedding is between a bride and a groom. You can no longer assume a woman is going to be given away, wear a dress, or hold a bouquet. Weddings are certainly not as straightforward and typical as they used to be. Each and every one now offers a highly unique experience, where the couple is celebrated for whom they are, not whom society wants them to be. That's an observation coming through loud and clear with every country we visited. And that's Traditions for Today. Sponsored by Your Special Day, a non-denominational wedding officiant service based in Palm Harbor, Florida. For more information about Your Special Day, visit the website at www.your-special-day.net. I invite your thoughts and comments on today's show or any show from the past, or what you might suggest for the future. Email your comments and suggestions to feedback at yourspecialday2.com. Again, that's feedback at yourspecialday2.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to this and all future episodes by clicking on the subscribe button where you launched this podcast. I'm Tom Hirsch. Stay happy. Stay healthy. Stay tuned. Today's show is brought to you by Your Special Day, a non-denominational wedding officiant service located in Palm Harbor, Florida. Your Special Day offers small, intimate weddings where the ceremony is crafted especially for you and approved by you well in advance of your day. Eloping? Destination wedding? No time to plan? Florida is renowned for its beautiful beaches and waterfront ceremonies are common all up and down the coast. But special county permits apply. We're familiar with the regulations and happy to help. Bring us your dreams. We'll help make them reality. From custom-written ceremonies to writing your own vows. We're here to make your special day truly special indeed. Visit our website 
at www.your-special-day.net or call 727-533-5433 today for more information about our service, pricing, and availability. Call 727-533-5433. Call now.